So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2 today, and this sermon is called Nowhere Else. Nowhere Else. If you follow along, we're going to start right at verse 1 of chapter 2. It says this, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled. My spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that this word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream. Tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has had asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is this decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. I love morning execution, don't you? Yes, yes Your Majesty. Right behind you. 
with his head? I can't watch. by these lick-spittle toadies you surround yourselves with. <laughs> what is that? I'm not the only one, Majesty. Look! Look out of it, Nose. You should be ashamed. Me? What about that big belly you were so proud of? I was looking at this and reading this uh, passage over and over and over again, and I was thinking, wow, an impossible situation, and finally the frauds are figured out. This situation shows us at least two things, two things. See, this passage shows us a predicament, and uh, to add insult to injury to our, our poor friends that we've been reading about over the past couple weeks, they have been taken from their land... They have been put in a new land. They are going to go through this, this, excuse me, this series of reprogramming. They are going to be reprogramming in their education, their language, their diet, their names. They reject the diet, and it goes well for them. And God blesses them, and God gives them wisdom. He gives Daniel such great wisdom, he's able to interpret visions and dreams, we're told. Now to add insult to injury taken out of a strange land, your whole life is changed now, what is before them? Death. Death. See, the king is disturbed by this particular dream. And what's interesting about this particular dream is the king is so intelligent, so intelligent, that when he is so troubled by this, he figures he must figure out who can tell him what these things mean. The Bible tells us that the king is so disturbed he can't sleep. Some of us really know what that's all about. You wake up from a dream and like you can't go back to sleep because it was just so real. This is exactly what he's going through. So what does he do? He goes to the wisest men in the land, the men that he surrounded himself with to give wisdom and instruction. Why would you do that? That's what all good kings do. Great leaders surround themselves with people wiser than themselves so that they too can absorb this knowledge and rule rightly. So he goes to these magicians, and he lays on them an impossible task. He says to them not only to tell the interpretation, but also the dream. And what's interesting is the way these men respond. So what do you do when you're in a situation like this? A situation where it seems impossible. What is before you is impossible. Well, what's interesting about these situations is they always reveal at least two things. First thing they reveal is the frauds, right? Just like the little video that we saw right there. All of a sudden you realize you're surrounded by people who are bamboozling you. Terrible. Absolutely horrible. And the sad thing, and that we all need to be aware of this in our discernment, is there are frauds everywhere. 
like everywhere. Some of you will remember this all too well. Some of you may have houses that were in this area, flood of 2011. The flood of 2011 was so devastating. Literally, everything in Athens had to be rebuilt. And it was very, very sad, and it was great because we saw a a great community come together. So we saw a lot of nobility. We saw a lot of people come out out of the goodness of their hearts and do the impossible, the rebuild, for nothing. No expectation of payments, no anything. It was amazing to see the hearts that were involved in that. But when the flood came through and the waters receded, another flood came through, but it wasn't water. It was FEMA money. And chasing that FEMA money, there was any man with a minivan and a ladder that had decided he was a contractor. So they came in and they said, it's going to cost this much to redo several things in your basement. Hot water heater, electric panel, pressure tank for your well. So they came in under the presumption that these things were going to be changed. And they would go in one cellar with a pressure washer and they would pressure wash these units. The power panel, the uh, pressure tank, and the hot water heater. Then they would remove them. They would take them to the cellar next door and install them as new because they were bright and shiny and clean. I worked for a company at the time. We were called shortly after the FEMA money ran out and after all the frauds left town. People said, my pressure tank is uh, waterlogged. I, I can't keep my well running. So we went and checked it out. And said, it looks like a nice new tank, nice and clean. Went and flipped the thing over. What's underneath it? Flood mud. Some people's water wells were not coming. The pump wasn't coming on at all. So what could be the problem? Went and opened up the door, looked inside the cabinet, and all over the bus bar in the back, flood mud. Now the outside was very, very clean. But the inside, just enough to do the install. Hot water heater elements, packed. Some of the insulation guard in the hot water heater shield was totally filled full of this mud. It was when those people were in a difficult predicament. Why? Because they had already spent the FEMA money to the guy in the minivan. Yes, you can come in here and do this work for me. They had not even known they weren't allowed in their houses back then that they were being bamboozled. Frauds are everywhere. They're absolutely everywhere. And when do we find out? When we need those people the most. You know, the queen there had surrounded herself with all of these people that were like her to give her support and comfort. And in the end, she found out that she didn't have surrounding her what she thought she did. What happened to these folks in the flood? They ended up having to pay for all the repairs to have the right material put in, now out of pocket. Having already had to replace all of their goods that they could not replace with the FEMA money, now they also had to go take out loans to replace hot water heaters, pressure tanks, and power panels. It was a terrible, terrible time for these folks. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is in a real predicament. He's had a dream that is so troubling to him that he cannot sleep. He has chosen to surround himself with the best in the land. Now think for just a second. If when they go and take the captives from Israel and he picks the best of the captives, the choice of the captives, and these are going to be the men who are trained to serve him, what kind of men do you think he chose before that? He chose the best. He chose the men that could do amazing things. 
play it off as they're the brightest, the brightest, excuse me, and the and the wisest in the land. And they did parlor tricks, and they used their fraudulent magic. What's interesting is it's always in a time of difficulty when the services that we profess to have are put to the test. In a small town, we need to look out for that. Or perhaps these people will not provide what they say they can. Nebuchadnezzar's wise men, the queens and the court, or excuse me, the, the court of the queen and, uh, and these men in the flood. Or perhaps, you know, we think they got away with it. These men that came in and bamboozled all these people out of their money, maybe we think they got away with it. One day they will stand before another king, amen? And they'll answer for every single dollar, every one. The beauty of the Christian faith is we know that in the end, all things will be made right. There's not one person that has bamboozled you that will not give an account for that in front of the king. Amen? Not one. In this case, Nebuchadnezzar needs his counsel for help. He needs them. He's so troubled that sleep fled, is fleeting from him. You ever had that where you awake from a dream and it's so real, you don't know what to do? It's, it's like, man, that, did that actually happen? Well, what do you do? Well, Nebuchadnezzar went to the people that should be able to help him. But Nebuchadnezzar was also very smart. He did not want to get bamboozled. So what do they say? They say, tell us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. He says, uh-uh. You tell me the dream and the interpretation. They say, no, 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 come on. Tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. You know, Jim Jones did the same sort of thing. He had people come up front. He took it a step beyond. He called one of you up front and say, I feel within your body there is a cancer. I have just removed that cancer. You will now go and have a healthy screening at the doctor. And people cried. They thought, I, I had cancer, and he removed my cancer from me. They never had cancer. They were totally fine. He had people come up, and they, they, he told them, you have cancer. And he would hide a rotten chicken liver in his hands. He would come up behind them, and he would pinch their back. And he'd pull this thing and say, here, I removed the cancer. And everyone would cry, and they'd think, oh, how amazing this man can actually cure cancer. He actually saved me. And all the people in the audience would be clapping and saying, Jim Jones has the power of God. He can save people. A real con artist. A real con artist. And there are lots more out there like him. Lots. Think for just a second. What they're asking for is exactly the same thing you will find with a, a, a tarot card reader or a palm reader or in the horoscope. You just have to keep things so vague, just vague enough that what you say can possibly come true. So tell me the dream and I'll tell you its interpretation. Well, they could be very, very vague with the interpretation and one of them may happen to be right and that guy was right. It's the kind of thing we see all the time. All you need to do is keep the trick just vague enough, keeping it just broad enough to be plausible, and people will believe. But Nebuchadnezzar is smart. He says, no, you tell me the dream and the interpretation. And what do you think the odds are that these men could just guess? 
We think the odds are that they could just guess the right dream and the right interpretation. Well, think of Texas Hold'em for just a moment. The odds of you getting two aces in a row are 1 in 48,840, or two thousandths of a percent. And that's with physical knowns. That's with 52 cards, four aces. So what about something as vague as a dream? What do you think the odds are that one of these men could just guess? Well, your dream was about, and its meaning is, and get it right. Probably not very good. Probably not very good at all. The guys Nebuchadnezzar had in his court were supposed to be the guys that knew everything. And think about that for a second. You have one wise friend, you're a very lucky person. You have two wise friends, extremely lucky. Three wise friends, if you listen to that wisdom, that's a lot of collective wisdom, amen? But as it turns out, they give the answer that we really should expect. And the king should expect too. And in this one case, he actually does. But not the answer that he wants. What do they say? No one can do this but a God. These events that are impossible, that are before us, show us also our real limitations. They show us what we actually can and can't do. So they show us who the real frauds are, and they also show us all what our real limitations are. As we said just a minute ago, these men could not have possibly guessed. The odds would be so uh, not in their favor could they guess what the actual dream was. So what do they say? No one can do this with the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And whether or not they're genuine in this, it doesn't matter. They're right. It's a divine answer only. That's the only place this is going to come from. It's not going to come from a horoscope. It's not going to come from guessing. It's not going to come from you know, them collectively coming together and, and playing against the odds. It is going to come divinely or it is not going to come. It's amazing. It's amazing because here we see in two instances in the book of Daniel so far things that should have been easy but end up pointing toward a divine answer. So they were right. No one can do this but the divine. Whether they're genuine or not, we don't know, or just trying to save their necks, we don't know. It's likely they were just trying to save their necks, but let's not guess at that. What we do know is that they're right. The ability to see within a person within our hearts, within our minds, within our dreams, within our faculties, the ability to see within there, that can only happen by two people. The person that has these things, your thoughts, your dreams, your proclivities, who knows them best? You do, right? I know what I'm weakest at. I know my thoughts. The only other person that could possibly know other than you is someone who's all-knowing, and that is not a person living or breathing. Amen? It's not. So they point toward this greater, this divine, and they're right. So it makes sense that Daniel should think as he does and take the route that he takes. There's only one option. That's it. So it's important that we have these situations before us because they do several things. When we act in these situations, we must act in full faith. 
in full faith, no matter what. I said this last, last week, and I just want to repeat this again. When it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to leaning and standing on the Word of God, we honestly don't know what God will do. So we can ask God to do all kinds of things. We don't know precisely what he will and will not do. We know that we can talk with God. We know he cares about what we think and we feel. He sees our hearts. He knows our minds. He knitted us together in our mother's womb just as he wanted us to be. He knows us. And he does answer our prayers. But neither you or I know what God is going to do when we ask him to do something, especially in a situation like this. Daniel and his friends do not know whether or not Daniel and his friends will be slaughtered with everyone else. What do they know? They know who God is. They know who God has revealed himself to be. This is vitally important for us this morning. When we appeal to God, we must appeal to what we know of God. So a lot of, the, a lot of folks have like this pie-in-the-sky type, type of, of thinking about God. Like they know the God they want God to be, but it's not the God God says that he is. We'll straighten out that sentence later. They know who they want God to be, but it's not the God God has revealed himself to be. So we'll say things like, well, God would never do that because God is all loving. We use our own definition of love, our own definition like if someone was unfaithful to us, we would just, you know, turn the other cheek and, and say, oh, okay, well, no problem. And that's what we want God to do when we're not faithful. Well, he'll, he'll just forgive me because God is all love. He loves all the time. And the most loving thing to do is never hold me accountable for anything that I do. What happens to children that are never held accountable for the things they do when they become adults. They are also adults who think they should never be held accountable for any of the things that they do. So we need not to appeal to what we think God should be. We need to appeal to what we know God is. So what do they appeal to? It's amazing. They appeal to his compassion to his compassion. This Hebrew word here is rekem, and it's only used one time in the entire Bible. So when we hear something like that, that ought to stick out to us because there's 93 uses of the word compassion in the Bible, several different words. The only one that's only used one time is before us this morning. This is what they appeal to, and it means this. Absolute Mercy. Absolute mercy. This rekem, this compassion that they're appealing to, is God's absolute mercy. Or if you like, his fixed mercy. His steadfast mercy. Absolute. No changing. No shifting. Sometimes we'd like God to be the God that changes, especially when we do wrong. But James 1.17 tells us every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He 
does not change. This does two things for us, this knowledge. It's a, it's a huge strength for us when we pray, knowing that we're praying to a God that does not change. That doesn't mean he doesn't change situations. It means he does not change his character. You're appealing to the same God that he has revealed himself to be from Genesis all the way through. The same God does not change. Malachi 3.6 says, For the Lord, for I the Lord do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So here are these men, these magicians, these enchanters, these necromancers. One of these guys thought that the thought that the answer would come from almost every time was through something magical. It's like the pixie dust you just heard, something magical that they would be able to somehow speak to the dead, speak to the bones, turn the hourglass upside down and count the grains of sand as they fall. Somehow they could drop the precious gems on the ground and as soon as this happens, they would have an answer of of divinity from the diviners to give to the king. And this time they come up completely and totally empty-handed. Why is that? Because they have nowhere to run. Nowhere. And Daniel and his friends have nowhere else to run. Amen? Nowhere else. From a woman who knows that exact situation very well, Corey Tenboom said, the wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. This woman survived years in a Nazi death camp. Her family had a small watch shop, and they used a hollow wall upstairs to hide Jews from execution. And eventually, the Nazis found out they came for Corey and her family. Her her sister Betsy died in the concentration camp. Corey was humiliated. She had nothing else, nowhere else to run, nowhere else to turn. The only possible answer for her was God Almighty, and God did answer her, and God did deliver her, and she has just an amazing testimony. Her testimony is written in The Hiding Place and The Return to the Hiding Place. Several other books, I highly recommend them. If you read through them, they're just just so encouraging, so inspiring, and so eye-opening to some of the events from that time. Corey was in an impossible situation, and she knew that she could turn to God because of who God had revealed himself to be. And Daniel and his friends turned to this God of compassion, this God of absolute mercy. And the truth is, if God was absolutely merciful for them, if God was compassionate for them, then what's true for us today? Then we too can trust God's character as he's revealed himself. Because if God was compassionate to them in their circumstances, in the difficult trials that were before them, God will also be compassionate to us because he does not change. He is not like a shifting shadow. He's not tossed aside like like the waves. God's character stands. 
God's holiness is exactly the same today for you and I as it was in the beginning. God's God's justice is the same for us today as it was in the beginning. He does not change. So we can trust his character as he has revealed himself. And absolutely, we, we must trust his character. We must. We have no other choice. God has said, this is who I am. When you look at God's word as a whole, when you look at all 66 books, the most amazing thing about the entire Bible is this. God says, and then we see it lived out. God says, this is who I am. So when we see all these names given to God, why are these names given to God? Because they see God as he has revealed himself to be. So we know we must trust in who God has revealed himself to be because that's what's in our hands this morning. And because of the fact that God has revealed himself and who he is and the fact that we must learn who he is and must trust, we can believe that he is unchanging because he said that he is. And because of that fact, the most amazing thing out of this entire book of Daniel, the thing that we can learn most readily and that we really need to have applied to our hearts this morning is we really need to learn faithfulness through the fear. And the reason is this. You and I have no idea what's coming tomorrow. Tomorrow may be the brightest, happiest day that any of us have ever lived. It may be the darkest day that we've ever lived. We have no idea what is around the corner. None. We may have war. There may be nuclear war. We have no idea what's coming. All we know is that when the fear comes... God does not say you will have victory in the fear. God calls us to be faithful in the fear. God doesn't promise us victory over our finances. You'll have victory through the cross over your finances. That just doesn't exist. He tells us to be faithful. We can see the results of faithfulness.